You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, everybody. Happy Labor Day weekend. It's good to see everyone. I wasn't sure who's going to show up. I thought all you guys would be camping somewhere, so I am very excited to see all your faces. A um, couple things going on before I get this amazing series. Uh, anybody enjoying the book of Matthew so far? You don't have to say that just because you're in church. It's some good stuff, right? It is. A uh, lot of fun. We're going to continue this series. A couple things before I get into that. Some announcements, some plugs, if you will. Singles, where are you at? One more time. Singles, where are you at? There you go. I like that. This month, our South Bay Singles are hosting our regional Elevate event right here. So we can get some cheering for that. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I always have to make a plug for food as well. It's going to be some delicious food. Um, that being said, a couple other things. Uh, I think Mike and Rachel were married yesterday. That, I, I know. Uh, yes, yes. That's not the goal of the singles ministry, but it is encouraging when it happens, yes? Some good stuff. Uh, campus ministry. Where are we at, campus? <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. I don't know if you guys knew this, but we have a campus ministry. Yes, we do. And yes, it's growing. Uh, we're going to have a kickoff a week coming up of the, I believe the 19th is a Sunday. We want to invite you all. There's going to be like a prayer vision night, more details to come. You'll see some more announcements about it, but it's some exciting stuff. We're going to do some amazing things with the youth in South Bay. So amen. Amen. Good stuff. That being said, don't be overwhelmed by this uh, giant uh, scholarly illustration from the Bible Project. You know, too late. What the heck just happened? <laughs> so good stuff in here, right? Um, we're going to focus specifically on chapters. You can kind of see that in this right here. Oh, look at that. Um, we're going to focus on, that's a little clear, just a bit. Um, we're testing your vision, testing your age in that moment. Yeah, what's the pixel count on that one, Rhett? This one's a lot better. Um, 14 through 20 is the chapters that we're going to focus on today. And so you see different expectations about the Messiah. Um, who is he? What's he about? Um, so many stories that we can't go through, do justice. So we'll focus on, you know, one in particular. And then like every section that we mentioned throughout this series, you'll see a block of teaching in, in the last final chapters, in this case, chapters 18 through 20. And so we're going to tackle this idea of who Jesus is this morning. I want to mention this, uh, this plug also for the Bama podcast. I know a lot of fans are here for that. Uh, this notion throughout the, the book of Matthew that we've kind of touched on multiple times is that it's very much a book for the outsider. Those that you would think maybe would end the kingdom are actually out. Those that you would think would be out of the kingdom are actually in. Um, this mumser or mamser note of, you know, it would be, if, let's say if I was an Israelite woman and I slept with someone that wasn't and we had this illegitimate child that was not Torah observed, if you will, um, we're not so much focused on the technical definition as, as much as a romanticized uh, definition of this. This idea of this outsider that you see really through Matthew and his own kind of story, being a tax collector for the Romans, and just also many of the stories throughout the book of Matthew. This outsider perspective, this upside-down kingdom, this upside-down king. Title for today's lesson is Unexpected Victory. Unexpected Victory. Can any of you think, take a little moment, of an unexpected victory, a surprise victory in your life? Patriots version. <laughs> as, as he wears the Patriot uh, mask for those on live stream, he's a fan a little bit. Any other unexpected victories? This is not rhetorical. I want you guys to share. Amen. Amen for new jobs. Yes, we can clap that up. Employment is, it's not exciting, but it is exciting. You know, it's necessary. <laughs> well, lady. 
Amen. That's a big one. Yes, clap that one up. After uh, this one over here, I want to I hear a brother. Marriage. Amen for that. Amen for that. She's like, I don't, I don't know how I did it. We, I think we can all attest in our marriages, marriages for the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Yes. Brother in the crowd. Where got a brother at? Anybody? Come on, man. Crickets. Yes. Amen. Amen. Unexpected victory. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking of kind of a fun one. I remember uh, my wife and I went to one of her uh, work Christmas parties. This is like almost like 10 years ago. And they did the raffle at the end and they had the very last biggest prize. I think it was a $200 gift card to Nordstrom's, I believe. And we won it. So that, you know, that was a surprise victory. And I was kind of praying for them, like, God, we're disciples. Can you please bless us? Just let the... Sh- let the- <laughs> he heard it for whatever reason. Amen. We got a quiet time that morning. But in any case, unexpected victory. Continue on. So again, there's so much good stuff. In, and I mean, this is 14 through 20. So there's a lot jam-packed in these chapters. We're not going to touch on all these stories, maybe a couple briefly, but I just wanted to mention so you could see them. Uh, Jesus feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000. He's walking on water. Peter's walking on water with him. He has interaction with the Canaanite woman where it seems like he's kind of talking down to her, but he's not. Um, defilement and yeast. The Pharisees are challenging him, tell me what, he sh- what should be important tradition-wise and what Jesus should focus on. He kind of judos around on them. Uh, he predicts his death three times in chapters 16 through 20. Uh, chapter 17, you see a transfiguration where Jesus transforms with uh, Moses and Elijah and himself. They leave his physical body and come into a spiritual one. And you have Peter, James, and John that are with them, seeing this all occur and actually hear the voice of God. Um, D- uh, Jesus healed the demon-possessed child, and there's two blind men that are healed. That is the Micro Machines uh, commercial version of everything that happens in 14 through 20. If you know that reference, that means you're at least 30. Uh, but so much good stuff, right? We're going to focus on... Uh, primarily on chapter 16 when Jesus talks with with his disciples and there's some great imagery (coughs) excuse me in that story before I touch on that however this is some kind of kind of bible nerd type fun stuff and I didn't prep my wife at all (coughs) excuse me I got my voice is killing right now I didn't prep my wife at all for this Um, I'm gonna hide this again so you can't see it I don't want anybody to cheat okay I'm gonna test you sweetheart see if she remembers our uh, discussion before the sermon yesterday ready here we go but, but here's the thing. I control this slide, so watch this. There it is. Okay, so you can see it? Okay, we're good. So, sweetheart, what does the number 40 mean when you see it in the Bible? What does it refer to? Yeah, 40 days, 40 nights, right? 40 years of the Israelites in the desert. Um, 40 days for, for Jesus in the desert. So it's time of testing, right? And that's kind of a Bible number that it's easily thrown around. But there's a lot of good ones that we don't always think of. And trust me, this will tie into the sermon somehow. It's not just something you can share with your friends at parties, right? Um, so we can see a couple of numbers that tie in very specifically to uh, if I was an Israelite or Jewish person. So, for example, look at that two. Tablet and law of Moses. Two tablets, the lawgiver. Moses comes down from the mountain with these two tablets. Five. Five books of Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Some good stuff there, right? Um, twelve. If I'm a, if I'm an Israelite person, I hear the number twelve. I'm thinking twelve tribes of Israel. And now, kind of moving to the Gentile section, there's actually numbers that are associated with Gentiles as well. And so we can see uh, number seven, completion. That also it references the Gentiles. It's not just this this notion of being mature, but 
it goes to them as well. The number four, four corners of a compass, you know, four winds of the earth, that notes Gentiles as well. So how does this tie in? This is kind of interesting, and, I, and, I'll, and this will go into the unexpected victory point that we're trying to make as well. One thing that I never knew in looking through Matthew 14 and 15, you have these two feedings, right? Feeding of 5,000, feeding of 4,000. I didn't know that one was a, a Jewish group with the 5,000 in Matthew 14, and the other one was a Gentile. Did anybody know that? Some of you guys did because you follow Bema, but I honestly did not know that. So that was an amazing point. And you can see these numbers in here as well. For the, for the Jewish side of feeding 5,000, you have that number five, five loaves, and you have two fish. You also have how many baskets were left over? Twelve. Twelve small back baskets left over of all these things. And that's not a coincidence. And we mentioned before this idea that Jesus is the new Moses. So Jesus is the lawgiver, these five books, these five loaves. He has two fish, two tablets for the 12 tribes. And so as a Jewish person, I could totally think this is related to Moses. With the Gentile portion, you can see the number four, 4,000. Um, you can see the seven loaves and a few small fish, seven baskets left over. Now, how does this tie into what we're discussing today? There's conclusions that were drawn about Jesus. So as an Israelite, being under Roman occupation, this guy performs this amazing miracle, feeds 5,000 plus all the wives and children. So you're talking, I don't know how many kids and how many people were fed, maybe 10,000 or more. I see this, what do I want to do with this information? Well, if I am occupied under Roman rule, and I'm thinking about a judge or leader from the past that rescued Israel from these neighboring nations, well, then I'm probably going to want him make him a king by force. I want this guy to be in charge. If I'm a, if I'm a, a, a non-Israelite, a Gentile, and in this region of the Decapolis, and it's kind of primarily Greek influence, and Jesus comes and saves, uh, does this amazing miracle, so to speak, I'm thinking more of he's a spiritual leader. Not so much that he's going to overthrow Roman rule, because I'm a part of it. How does this tie in? We're going to look into who Jesus is this morning in Matthew 16. Pull open your Bible or grab your phone, whatever you uh, use nowadays. And again, you can use some of that numerology information at parties. It goes really well with people that you meet. <laughs> Did you know? So in Matthew 16... We're going to tackle who is Jesus. Picking up in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And Jesus uses this reference, right, this idea of the Son of Man. You see it actually 80 times in the New Testament. It's like a third person. Who is this person? Who is this son of an actual man? It's like a literal son of a man, but yet there's this deity kind of notion to it as well. And it was referenced in Ezekiel and in Daniel previously. Verse 14 says, They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So it starts kind of this, this basic, very surfacey conversation. Who, we're, we're in Caesarea Philippi, this is a, a, a Gentile area. Who are they saying that I am? And they get these different notions, right? John the Baptist, John the Baptist, uh, you know, Jesus' cousin, recently beheaded. This amazing preacher, kind of fiery Elijah. Elijah literally called down fire from heaven. Uh, he didn't die. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. So they're thinking he kind of he's one of these amazing prophets of old. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, someone that had a very difficult message to the Israelite people over and over again, telling them, hey, you know what? We're going to be exiled. Hey, you know what? Go with the Babylons. Hey, the more you fight, the worse it's going to get. I, don't, I can't think of one person in this room who would want to convey that message year after year to his people. Challenging. Or maybe he's one of the prophets. So they have these ideas about kind of who, you know, who do you think Jesus is? And this kind of brings us to an important question. 
Who is Jesus to you? Is he simply, and, and C.S. Lewis tackles this, right? He's a great Christian thinker. He t- tackles this notion that is, is Jesus, based on what he says, he doesn't give you a whole lot of room to say he's just simply a great moral teacher. Why? Because he also says he's the son of God. He says very polarizing statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can get to the Father except through me. You want to divide a room, talk about Jesus <laughs> being the only way to get to heaven. And so who is Jesus is this important notion for us. And we have to get away from simply just what people think. What did the crowd think? Oh, he's, maybe he's Elijah, spirit of Elijah. He's John the Baptist. And get more into who is Jesus for us. Matthew 16, continue on. It says that Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You ever had an aha moment? I want you to think of one for you. What was one of these moments where all of a sudden you had this epiphany and then the world made sense or a relationship made sense? Think about for yourself and then when you're ready, slowly raise your hand. Sir? Just for in general. Please explain for the layperson in the room. you're getting advanced music theory this morning. You're welcome. Rich in the back. You just blew my mind, Mark. Thank you very much for that. There's always a danger when you go to the crowd, but amen. Did everybody hear that? My mind just exploded. The corn dog has cornbread around it. You're welcome, my lady. Amen for aha moments. You know, I'm thinking for myself, right? This was, this was Jesus and Peter's aha moment. Peter realizes kind of who he is. Not fully appreciates it, but he has a good understanding. Um, I want you guys to think back from it. Many of you guys studied the Bible at one point in time. I remember my aha moment was my very first Bible study. Very first Bible study, we did a study about what it means to be a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. And this study, for all intents and purposes, before I walked in, I would have thought that I am a Christian. I started going to church, started reading the Bible. I, I tried to stay away from certain sins. I wasn't very good at it, but I, I made an effort, right? 
I didn't tell them that I kind of gave up before I started with the Bible study. <laughs> but there was some effort as far as me trying to be a Christian. And then we get into all these different passages about what Jesus says, what it means to follow him. My heart just got cut in half. Challenging. This moment where it was kind of scary because I realized that what I thought about Christianity just got blown up. I just found out there's, you know, there's corn on the corn dog. Like, I didn't know, didn't know that. At the same time, it was exciting because it was exactly what I was looking for. An opportunity to truly follow God the way that he wanted me to. An aha moment. Going on, we're going to continue in uh, Matthew 16. This is interesting. We'll touch on this in a sec. Because of his response, Jesus says this. And I tell you that you are Peter. Petros, you know. Peter means rocky. And on this rock, an actual bedrock, I'll build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is pretty encouraging when you think about this unexpected kingdom, right? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, when I always hear the gates of Hades, my first thought reading the scripture, I don't know how many times, I never considered there's an actual literal place called the gates of Hades. And here it is, Exhibit A. And they were in... Caesarea Philippi, and kind of in rabbinical fashion, Jesus would use what's around you in physical nature to make a point to his disciples. Here is the Grotto of Pan. Grotto of Pan's in the middle right there. I'll give you another little shot. Looked like something like this in ancient times. Uh, Pan was an ancient god. Uh, he was the god of agriculture and kind of almost a catch-all. And that alleged cave, if you will, many of you have heard the, uh, the, the, the god Baal, right, in the Old Testament. Baal's referenced a lot, and Ashtoreth was kind of his, his mistress, if you will, was another god, Ashtoreth Poles. You hear that a lot in the Old Testament. This was allegedly the place where Baal went into the underground, you know, went into Hades, if you will, is supposedly that cave. And in such fashion, you can imagine what was going on there. There's literally the word uh, pandemonium, right, comes from Pan, because they had a festival called Pandemonium. Every, I don't know how often it was, but I mean, you're talking about like sexual promiscuity and, 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 and just imagine a, a parade that's all the crazy things that I can't say from the pulpit. Um, bestiality was going, like, I mean, it's the, all these, these type of sins here. Like, oh my God, yes, it was celebrated. You're talking about Vegas and Mardi Gras combined in one. Hundreds of thousands of people were descending on this area. And so when you think about the backdrop, backdrop if you will, not just the gates of Hades, but a very literal view of sin. And Jesus says, on this rock I'll build my church. This kind of puts Christianity or the kingdom in a very offensive, not in offensive in a way you think in negative, but opposite of defensive. Like the church can be built in places like this. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as, as an apostle, I'm seeing this example. It's like, oh my gosh, all this craziness that's going on in the world. And you can think of all the craziness. You're in high school, you can think of all the craziness that happens. Some of you are in college, you can think about all the craziness that occurred when you became a disciple. And I lived in Vegas for three years. I saw a lot of it. If you want to go down to a nice restaurant by the strip, you're like, oh, okay, I remember why I don't live in this area. <laughs> day after day, the craziness that we see in the world. And God says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Does that encourage you this morning? God has started a work, and he will see it to completion. It's not going to stop. It's going to continue, no matter what people's political opinions are, no matter what social upheaval occurs, 
You guys remember Andrew and Abby sharing last week about Lebanon? I mean, they had a revolution. They had an explosion at the harbor. People lost all their money. Millions of dollars gone. Uh, uh, electrical grid that doesn't work. Uh, you have to sleep on the balcony because it's too hot inside. You, you don't have food that can refrigerate all the time. You have to get in a fight in order to get gas. All these craziness that's going on. And you can see the joy from Andrew and Abby. You can see this spirit almost like they're itching for a fight. If Satan's going to do all these things, then you know what? I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to fight too. Because the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. Whatever you think about this morning about organized religion or your own thoughts, even about our own fellowship here, God's plan is set. Take some solace and comfort wherever your stance is that God is working through his people and will continue to work through his people. Amen? Amen. There's another picture. It's a modern-day view of it, so you can see that chasm. It literally looks like it goes down to somewhere underground. What kind of Messiah are we talking about? Because Peter had this idea that there's a Messiah, right? Pretty clear. You're the Son of God. Pick up verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So <laughs> Peter gets this wonderful thing about, on this rock I'm going to build my church, right? I don't know if his head got big or a little bit of helium inflated it, but at this point, he's about to tell Jesus off. He says, never Lord, this shall never happen to you. What you just said about suffering and dying is not going to occur. Okay. Verse 23 happens. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, opposer. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is interesting because Peter just said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. But then this next part, he starts to rebuke Jesus because he had his own understanding on who the Messiah should be. He had his own idea of his image of God in Jesus. That image was contrary to what Jesus came for. In his mind, Jesus is going to push my agenda. My agenda is my people. My people are under Roman occupation. They need to be rescued. You are going to rescue them. If you die, how are you going to do any of these things? How are you going to be this leader for our people if you're suffering and you're enduring and you're killed? This doesn't make any sense. What is your image of Jesus? Your image of Jesus will determine how you live Christianity. Suffering is not something any of us desire. But yet, it's exactly the path that Jesus set. It's exactly the path that many of our brothers and sisters around the world are going through this very moment. We like wealth. We like prosperity. We like comfort. We like easy. And Jesus says, suffer and die. Peter said, no. Jesus said, this is my will. This is my Father's will. Does your understanding of idea of Jesus 
match that what he teaches. That what the scripture says. Because if it does, if it does, there's a sweet spot that we can experience with Christianity. Being in line with the will of God. Being led by the Holy Spirit. Situations that would other, other times knock you off. It's just kind of, you just rise above it. You rise above the fray. You can juke all these <laughs> flaming arrows of the evil one. And you have this sense of, of peace and joy and love. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What happens when you have the right view of the Messiah? Of this unexpected kingdom, this unexpected king? You're able to embrace teachings and values that are from this king, that are a part of this kingdom. Matthew 18 through 20, there's a lot of teachings that go on in here. The world values people that are prideful. The world values people that are boastful. The world values people that have a lot to say all the time. They're always conveying their opinion. Jesus says, become like lowly children to be great. People don't like to forgive. The world says, if someone hurts you, just write them off and move on. Jesus says, keep on forgiving and give mercy. Matthew 19 says, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not impossible. Scripture actually says specifically that it's like the camel going through the eye of a needle. With man, that is impossible. With God, he can either shrink the camel or <laughs> lengthen the eye of the needle. But it's hard. We value wealth. We value prosperity. Jesus values being poor in spirit. Matthew 20. The last will be first and the first will be last. You know, my son plays basketball. I want him to score 20 points a game. <laughs> I'm preaching on Sunday. I want to do the best I possibly can. There's some good things about that, right? But whose glory is it for? God's or mine? Matthew 20, 28. Greatness means a life of service, not to be served. I'm going to say that again. Greatness means a life of service, not to be served. Jesus came as a ransom for many. Not this centerpiece, not this, this CEO, but in with the people, working with them, healing them, touching them, working with the lepers and, and healing them. People want to just reach out to his cloak. He's in the fray with these people serving them. It's important to note. Your belief about Jesus will determine how you conduct yourself in this life. Let that sink in for a second. Your belief about Jesus will determine how you conduct yourself in this life. Who is Jesus to you? I think for myself personally, and many of the religious world struggles with this, kind of the, the umbrella that is Christianity, we all like the Savior part. We all like the fact that our sins are forgiven. The truth is, is that grace is thrown out rather cheaply nowadays. Just say a little prayer, do something quick, you're good, everything's fine in your world, your sins are you're safe. But when you get to the Lord, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where it gets real. Why? Because I actually have to think in my heart, in my mind, is God going to be number one in everything. And the truth is, it's very easy to kind of grab onto something with this talon-like grip and put it in front of God. And God's saying, let go. And you're saying, no, I don't want it. I really like this. God's saying, let go. 
no, I'm kind of afraid. God's saying, let go. Let Jesus be Lord, not your emotions, not that boyfriend or girlfriend, not that job, not that whatever relationship, not that thing that you really want to possess, not that career achievement. Let Jesus be Lord. Going into communion, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they've done. We follow a suffering servant. It's an image that I think is difficult to fully embrace. But nevertheless, that's the calling that we have. The encouraging thing about that is that he rewards each person according to what he's done. You've been serving God for years. You've been serving Jesus for years. He sees all of it. Your reward's waiting for you. Hang on. Continue. Don't give up. Persevere. If you're thinking about it this, moment, this morning, what's more important? Honestly, what would you want to give up in exchange for your soul? I remember at times I thought it was a relationship. It wasn't it. But Jesus says, if you give up, if you're willing to put me first, if you're willing to suffer and endure just as I have, you'll be rewarded. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about the prospect of heaven. I am. I don't want to go there yet. I have a lot of kids. I have a wife that loves me. Right, babe? Okay. Just making sure. I had to double check. Yeah, amen. But thinking about what Jesus has already done. He suffered on the cross. He died on the cross. The price has been paid. So when we suffer and we endure, we're following the Messiah towards this unexpected victory and the hope of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us the way that you do, Father. An amazing God, gracious God, a merciful God. You give us this kingdom where we can celebrate eternity now. We can rejoice with you now, here on earth, being under your kingship, God, as Jesus Lord. We thank you, Father, for your direction. We thank you, God, for your example. We thank you, God, for all the ways that you loved us, protect us, and shown us truth, and continue to reveal things to us, God. We love your, God, just the relationship that we're able to have with you. We pray this morning, Father, help us as we think about the cross to embrace your path, to embrace this unexpected victory, a willingness to suffer, a willingness to endure, but with the hope of being with you, God, and sharing in the reward. We love you so much, Father. We thank you for the fellowship of which we're a part, that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Praise your son's most holy perfect name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.